Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 13. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? the man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. And Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, that the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ the Word. Thank you very much, Vic. Uh, Let's pray before we uh, think on the words that Vic just read to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, this episode between Jesus and this this man, which I personally find so sad, and yet there's so much we can learn from it. And I pray that as we spend some time thinking on it, now it may be fairly familiar to uh, to many of us, but uh, there's a lot going on here beneath the surface. And so please, by your spirit, uh, open our eyes, open our hearts, and change our lives. Work within us by your spirit to quicken our love and faithfulness to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through Matthew's Gospel for a while and we're back in it and we're up to this little section. And it's in Stephen's we put a lot of stock in not just reading the scriptures but studying them, thinking about them, considering them, weighing them up, 
not just skating over the surface where you can miss a lot of the depth, but trying to dig down. And one of the things St. Stephen's members have heard me recommend many times in the process of studying the scriptures is notice the questions that jump out. When you come across parts of the Bible that seem strange to your ears or your eyes, think about it. Think about what isn't making sense. And often it's precisely when we notice those odd bits and try and dig down to think about why they're there and what they're saying and why they surprise us so much, we actually work out and find the riches of what a particular passage is saying. And I think our verses today are one such passage like this. We've got three kind of sections. You might have picked that up as Vic was reading. Uh, But the main section is the fairly well-known story of Jesus with a rich young man. And it's possible to think, well, just skating over the surface, well, the, 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 the principle from this reading that I need to take is riches are a danger. Well, thank goodness I'm not rich, so I don't have to worry too much about this. There may be a couple of other people in this room who need to worry about it. None of us ever think we're rich, do we? So we don't have to really worry too much about this. Even though if we put it ourselves next to the rest of the world, I would imagine everyone in this uh, hall is proportionally rich. But we kind of, but I, we think, well, it hasn't got much to do with me. But I want to tell you, I think although that's something that this passage is saying, I don't think it's the main thing that this passage is saying. And as soon as we notice some of the strangeness of this passage, some of the odd things that Jesus says and the directions that he takes this conversation, which are are bizarre when you stop and think about it, then perhaps we will see a little more clearly what Jesus has to teach us. Now, before I point out some of these questions uh, that I want us to notice this morning, I should be upfront that due to our packed service this morning, uh, I'm not going to spend any time on the first three verses of our passage or the last four, apart from now. I'm going to say a couple of things now, but then I'm going to leave it and move into the chunk. In verses 13 to 15, we basically get Jesus say that the little children should be allowed to come to him, so don't hinder them because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as them. And I think the purpose of this part being right next to the other is we're supposed to be seeing a comparison made between children who are utterly reliant and dependent, children who only come with open hands to receive, and the rich young man who thinks he can do it all himself. That's the comparison, the contrast that's going on here. And we need to be thinking, well, who's got it right? The rich young man who thinks he can do it by himself or the child? Well, spoiler alert, Jesus has already told us it's the child. Then the last four verses are where a little conversation breaks out between the disciples and Jesus. Peter says in verse 27, the disciples have left everything to follow Jesus. What will they receive? And although there's a few strange images kind of on thrones and those sorts of things, uh, the main principle that Jesus is getting across here, I think, is pretty clear and very encouraging. What Jesus says in these last few verses is, those who follow him will share in his victory. Those who give up certain things to follow him in life will one day share in his triumph, in his reign, and in his rewards. And I think although there's a sense that he's speaking specially in some significant way to the disciples, this is for all the followers of Jesus. This is great news for you and I. And although I'm not going to come back to this part, don't don't forget it. Many Christians, many people in this room have given up a lot to follow Jesus. Sometimes they've left behind money, sometimes relationships, sometimes opportunities, sometimes career or popularity or peace. It won't always be that you're giving up to follow Jesus. Know that and be comforted by that. There will come a time when all of Jesus' people will share in the victory of Jesus. And although we don't do things for that, it's good to know it. 
It will be a wondrous and a glorious time as we share in the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the, just a, a few words on the first few verses and the last few verses, but I want to get stuck into this middle section where Jesus has this interaction with this guy. Uh, who is this guy? Verse 16, he's described only as a man. But in verse 20 and 22, he's also described as a young man. And then in verse 22, we're told he's got great wealth. So that's why I'm calling him the rich young man. He's rich, he's young. What else do we know about him? Well, I think he comes across pretty well. In fact, as I kind of prayed, I think, uh, I personally find this one of the saddest accounts in the Gospels because I really like this guy. I really like him. And yet he leaves almost brokenhearted because he can't do what he knows is the truth, what Jesus has told him. And I think we're supposed to like this guy when we see this passage. Uh, this episode is not just in Matthew's Gospel, where we're getting it from, but it's also in Mark and Luke. And in Mark in particular, it tells us that Jesus loved this man. It says he looked upon him and loved him. Although it doesn't say that here, I still think just reading through Matthew's account, you're supposed to like this guy. It's clear he's got a very good thing in mind when he comes to Jesus. He's worried about eternal life. Now think about that for a moment. He says, teacher, verse 16, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? How many rich young people do you know think about eternal life? They're rich and they're young. They're not thinking about eternal life. They're satisfied now. On the whole, they haven't had the frailties and the difficulties of life cause them to question what's beyond this life. If they've experienced any difficulties, they've got the money to get themselves out of trouble. Life has not proved fickle in the same way that it has for many of us in this room. So this is a guy who's thinking in the right track, in the right area. But he's not just thinking about the right thing, he's going to the right person. If you're going to talk about eternal life, where do you go? Go to the source, go to Jesus Christ. Good on this guy. He's a good guy, and I think we're supposed to see him as that in this passage. So that's the setup. It's this gentleman who comes to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So let me point out some of the questions I think should jump out to us when we see this incident. Here's the first one. If this guy's a decent guy, like I've just said I think he is, he's thinking the right way, he's coming to the right person, why does Jesus go pretty hard at him right at the outset in verse 17? Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. Uh, okay, Jesus, you've kind of gone from one to a hundred pretty quick there. This is a good guy coming for a good reason. He's asking a good question. Why have we suddenly jumped to um, almost speaking harshly to this guy? If this was the Pharisees trying to trip Jesus up with a question to get him to make a, a bad mistake in front of other people, we could understand Jesus speaking in this way. But this is a nice guy asking a decent question. Why does Jesus seem a bit harsh here? That's one question. Next question. Why does Jesus say the next words? Verse 17. If you want to enter life, uh, obey the commandments. What? Really? Is that the answer you'd give? Have a think about that for a moment. If you left the service this morning, headed over to the Palms to have some lunch, and someone came up to you and asked you what, you, what they must do to inherit eternal life, what would you say? I'm not sure what I'd say. I know what I wouldn't say. I wouldn't point them to the law and say, obey that. That's what Jesus does. He says, obey the commandments. I'd say, 
trust in Jesus. I'd say not law, but grace. We believe in justification by faith in Jesus. It's not what we do. We can't do anything. We trust in what Jesus has done for us. We need forgiveness. We can only get it by trusting in what he's done in his life. Who knew that Jesus was such a bad evangelist? He clearly hasn't done Alpha. He clearly hasn't done Christianity Explored. Is this a rookie mistake by Jesus because he was just misjudging the situation? No, obviously. No, he's not making a mistake. So why is he pointing this man to the law when the question is eternal life? It's a very strange thing to do. Next question. When Jesus says, obey the commandments in verse 17, the man says, well, which ones? And in verse 19, Jesus answers, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. What's strange here? Well, Jesus is clearly quoting the Ten Commandments, but he's missed out the first four. He's missed out the first chunk. Why does he go for the second half of the Ten Commandments? The ones that are summarized. Remember, the, the, whole, the, the Ten Commandments and the whole law could be summarized by two commandments. He's gone for the second half, which is summarized by love your neighbor as yourself. But he hasn't gone for the one that Jesus says is the most important commandment. Why has he missed that chunk out? Last question. Then maybe we'll get into some answers. But last question. In verse 21, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. So was I wrong at the beginning? Can we actually do something to inherit eternal life? And it's just that I've mucked it up because I haven't sold everything I own and given it all to the poor. Actually, is there anyone here who's done that? No. So no one's perfect here this morning. We're all in the same boat. But why is Jesus giving the implication? It seems to be a reasonable implication from this that if you do give up everything and sell it, well, then you can be perfect. See, as soon as you start thinking about this passage, not just skating over the surface where you'll end up thinking, well, there's some danger if you're rich, but plowing down into it and asking questions about what Jesus is doing here and why is he saying such things and taking us in different directions, there's a lot more going on. Well, let's think about it. Because, although I was being silly before, Jesus is not a rookie when it comes to evangelism. He's the expert. He's not someone who doesn't know how to deal pastorally with people. He's the master of all pastoral situations. So he knew exactly what was needed in this situation, and he puts it into effect. And as we see the master at work, we too will learn. As soon as this man came to Jesus, Jesus, I'm sure, knew this was a decent guy because he knows the hearts and minds of men and women. And notice when Jesus lists all the commandments that this guy should keep in verse 19, the man says, all these I've kept, what, what do I still lack? And Jesus doesn't argue with him, go, well, you haven't kept it. No, you actually haven't. So I think this guy has done a pretty good job in keeping the law. But this is where he tells him to sell everything and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven and then follow me. And then we get the tragedy of the story, verse 22. The young man goes away sad because he had great wealth. I guess it could read, because great wealth had him. Because it's got a hold on him. It's got a hold on him. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where do we find that? Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter copied it from Matthew's Gospel. But it's true. Where our, what we treasure, that's where our heart will be. And what Jesus had exposed in this man was his heart wasn't with God, sadly. It was with possessions, and he wouldn't let his possessions get in his way with the relationship with God. 
But do you see what Jesus has done to get that man to that point? It's genius. This man had arrived at this conversation probably pretty confident. He's got every reason to be. He's young, he's rich, and he's lived a pretty good outward life. And so he gets there and says, what good thing must I do to to get eternal life? And he probably thinks Jesus is going to say, nothing, keep going, buddy, you're doing well. Or maybe do a little bit better, but probably something that he thinks he can achieve. What good thing must I do? And he probably thought Jesus was going to say, nothing, you're good as you are. Or maybe pull your socks a little bit higher, but you're you're on the right track. So Jesus plays along with it to, to shake him out of his complacency. He says, keep the law. And then he lists only the second half of the Ten Commandments, the love your neighbour half, the easy half. Because the first half is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And Jesus knows he hasn't kept this. He's got money before God. Jesus knew that money was this particular man's issue. That's his treasure. That's where his heart was. And so he leads him in this conversation to discover this for himself. The issue is not really money. It's that's what that man's issue was. If you and I had been with Jesus that day and asked him the same question, he may well have taken us in a different direction because we've got a different problem that's stopping us in our relationship with God. It may be the same one for you. It might be riches and possessions, or it might be something else. But that's why this passage is not really about the danger of riches. It's about showing this person that he couldn't do it himself and that he needed something more. You can see that in the next few verses. 23, Jesus says to the disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked him, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? It's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, heaven. Who can be saved? No one. It's impossible for any person to save themselves. There is a truth here that there's danger if you're rich because you'll put your trust and confidence in that. But the bigger point that Jesus is getting at here is it's impossible for anyone to save themselves. And he needed this particular gentleman in front of him to understand that. The truth is no rich person can do anything good to save themselves. No poor person can do anything good to save themselves. No religious person can do anything good to save themselves. No atheist can do anything good to save themselves. But what is impossible for you and I is possible for the God who saves. That's what he's saying here. And Jesus all the time is pointing this guy to that truth, even right back at the beginning. That's why he says what looks like harsh words at the beginning, but they weren't. When he said to him, why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who is good. Jesus is saying, you're flawed in your thinking even with your initial question. Because you've said, what good thing must I do to get to eternal life? Now, don't be put off here by the word good. We've watered good down today. We use it all the time. But in the scriptures, who does good things? God. Think about creation. And it was good. He did this and it was good. This guy's talking as if he can do something that's godlike. He thinks he can do something which will save himself. 
And so Jesus, right at the beginning, is saying, what are you talking about good for as if you can do that? He's, he's funneling him all the way to make the right, um, come to the right conclusions. You're thinking the wrong way, buddy. In this conversation, Jesus is slowly and surely getting the man to stop thinking that he can do something and recognize his guilt and throw himself on the mercy of God. That's what he's doing. He had to realize that it wasn't about his law keeping. If he could keep better laws and have a better life, he needed to throw himself on the mercy of God. That's what was going. It was getting him to recognize his helplessness, that for human beings like you and I, it's impossible But thank goodness with God it's possible. It's an incredible piece of pastoral ministry here by Jesus. And it's not just true for this man, like the riches one uh, was. It's true for everyone. None of us can save ourselves. None of us can do it. For this man, riches was his problem. For you and I, we will have other problems. But we will all have them. That's what this passage is about. So I haven't got time. Let me just give a couple of bits of application if that's the truth of this passage. Firstly, if you're here this morning and you still don't follow Jesus wholeheartedly, what's your issue? For this man it was riches. That was his treasure and it got in the way of him and God. I like to think that it didn't for all time. I like to think that this guy, because I love him, I think he's a great guy. I like to think that he went away dejected and then he suddenly got to the point where he realised he was putting this money in front of God and he humbled himself and he threw himself at the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I hope. But what is it for you if you're not following Jesus wholeheartedly? This man couldn't leave his possessions to put following Jesus first. What's your possessions? It might be a relationship. It might be a certain habit. It might be a person or a pastime that you're not willing to give up or to forego. Don't be the young man walking away sad because he couldn't do it. The wonderful thing is he'd realised. That's why I've got hope for him. He'd realised and you hope that the Lord used that over time to kind of draw him to himself. Some of us don't even admit that it's there. Put Jesus first. Take the warning from this guy. It's a tragedy. Put Jesus first. He's worth it. This guy was talking about a few treasures. uh, And he wouldn't give that up for eternity. Crazy. And yet we do the same thing so often in life. What is it for you? Secondly, second bit of application. If you're doing evangelism, and I pray that we do, whether we're talking to a friend or a neighbour, whether we're preaching a sermon or whatever else, We need to preach people's sin and guilt and helplessness. We sometimes shy away from that today because we don't want to upset people or offend people. So we want to to major on the positive bits. God loves you and God's full of grace and there's uh, all these sorts of things and we want to stay away from sin or judgment or because we don't want to cause people uh, problems. Jesus didn't. He showed the person their helplessness. He showed the person their guilt so that they knew they needed a saviour. If we present Jesus as a good thing without showing that he's a necessary saviour, he's just going to be um, hes going to be someone that you might choose to follow in your life, not a saviour that you need in your life. We might have exactly the, the right motives for doing it, but in doing it we're undercutting the power of the gospel because the purpose of the gospel is we realise we are the children who just hold out our hands, reliant and dependent on a heavenly Father who gives it to us because he loves us and he has grace. But we've got to realise our own unworthiness and the fact that we can't do any good thing to save ourselves. 
And so preaching sin and judgment alongside the grace and mercy of God and the wonder of forgiveness and the beauty of reconciliation, that it must be a part of our evangelistic message. It's got to be. We've moved away in recent times from hellfire and brimstone sermons, but I worry we've moved so far, we now leave out anything kind of negative. If you leave out anything negative, you don't need a saviour. Jesus did it here. This is exactly why some of this hate speech legislation and conversion therapy legislation is going to get Christians in trouble. Because the Christian message is offensive. Because it says the problem with the world is me. And it says there's nothing I can do about it. I've just got to throw myself on the mercy of the God who loves me. That offends people. Now we we don't want to add to the offence by being extra offensive in the way we do it. But if we pull our punches, there's no need for Jesus. Jesus did it this way because he knew what he was doing. I pray that we will too. There's much more in here. I've got to finish. It's a great passage. Uh, I pray that uh, God will use it to instruct our hearts and minds. Let me pray now. Father, we thank you for this chance to open your word here. And I pray that you would speak to us through this passage. And in particular, if there are people today who are placing things before you, help us set them apart, walk away from them, and put you first in our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.